James chapter 1, verse 19. And I'll just read two verses, but we'll cover more. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. There's more in this passage, but I'm going to continue uh, teaching through the book of James chapter 1. Really tonight, practical insights from James who teaches us about pure religion. You may be seated. We've spent uh, previously three weeks in the book of James. Two weeks on the perfect work of patience. And last Wednesday night on the subject of temptation. There is a difference between being tested by God and being tempted by Satan. And we know that in James is a practical pastoral figure. Really, he's like the general superintendent of the early church. And he now moves into some areas of practical Christian teaching. Uh, James, the half-brother of Jesus. They shared the same mother, but not the same father. In Acts 15, he is clearly the leader of the church. In Acts 21, he is still the leader. He is highly Respected and he has a voice in the early church. And he writes in James chapter 1 to the Jews that are scattered abroad, the 12 tribes that are scattered abroad. That's his audience, Jewish Christians scattered all over the world. And he tells them, after teaching them about the trial of their faith that works patience and that God never tempts you to evil, neither tempteth he. He cannot be tempted, he doesn't tempt any man. But now he says, we need to get the context of this before you jump to conclusions about any issue in the Bible. Because that's what they had done. They had all these misconceptions about where testing came from, where temptation came from. And James sets the record straight. Remember, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. He teaches them, you've got to have a right concept about the Word of God. And the most exercise some people get is jumping to conclusions. So James says, I want to slow you down, everybody, that you need to be swift to hear and slow to speak and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Every scripture has a context, a setting. One interpretation, many applications. There are a lot of, there are a lot of applications from this verse, these two verses alone. But in the context of James... We have to understand that he's trying to get the 12 tribes of Israel scattered abroad all over the world to settle down, not be people of debate and questioning and wrath because these are people that have been conceived by the Word of God, this is in the passage, to be a first fruits of Jesus Christ, a special set-apart people. So that's why he says, Wherefore, because of who you are in Jesus Christ, conceived or begotten by the Word, first fruits of Jesus Christ. Because of that, you you have the Holy Ghost inside of you. He's the only source of good. He's sovereign in every way. You need to be swift to hear. So that's kind of the background of this verse. 
uh, James wants these people to know that when they're investigating truth, Bible study, hearing preaching, that you don't need to have wrath working in you, anger. You don't need to have a bad attitude that filters everything you hear, that you should lay aside anger and wrath, and you should have a calm, open mind to the investigation of truth, because the state of wrath or anger is always an unfavorable ground for truth to be planted in. Amen. So we should be engaged to weigh out the evidence and listen with an open mind. Uh, Some people look at the Bible or they hear a sermon and they're over-analytical, they're dissecting rather than applying it, they're listening to it from a theological point of view, Or maybe you want to know the hermeneutics, the interpretation, or the homiletics, the the sermon structure. But really, truth is meant to change us from glory to glory into the image of Jesus Christ. And James knows his audience. There are people who could debate with the best of them, question God, test God, remember like they did in the wilderness. And he wants them to be quick to hear, really hear the Word of God. And slow to react, slow to speak about what they have heard. That they should not have a filter of defensiveness or anger or debate because it never develops or contributes to the character of Jesus Christ forming in you. Amen. James has already dealt with this debate early in the chapter. I know there's no open argument. He's writing a letter, but he's addressing contention and discussion about You know how God deals with us about testing and about how Satan attacks us with temptation. So he says, don't get lost in the theology and you miss the message. Amen. Everybody got that? Say amen. Amen. Praise God. So let me just kind of move past that a little bit. But I want you to notice that James is not just addressing them about reading the Bible, studying the Bible, memorizing the Bible meditating on the Bible. He said every man needs to be swift to hear. Do you know that God chose by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe? And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 6 and 4, the foundation of oneness theology, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. I believe that we should be people who read the Word of God, study, memorize, meditate, and apply. But James now is dealing with people who may have had a bias against hearing somebody else teach or preach the Word of God and they were filtering out the message or reading into it what they wanted it to say. So James says, and I think this is in the context of a congregation, Maybe for them, scattered abroad throughout the world, they're still meeting in synagogues or house churches. And he said you need to be swift to hear the word of God. There was a voice from heaven that spoke over Jesus Christ that said, This is my beloved son. Son, hear ye him. Hear him. Amen. So reading is important. Study all of those things. But the apostle James is talking to them about the word of God that is preached, that you need to be open to receive the preaching of the Word of God. Now, among preachers and teachers and seasoned saints, sometimes we hear sermons like we're going to a new restaurant 
and we're kind of evaluating it. We're like an Epicurean. We're going to go in there, you know, and we're going to see if we like it or not. We're going to evaluate it and grade it in every way and what we think about it. And I think sometimes, I'm going to general conference next week, you know, you can read into the sermon a motive and miss God. So James says, I don't want you to be predisposed to reject the word of God. You need to be swift to hear. Amen. I recognize more than anyone that I am fallible and human. But when I'm preaching the word of God, it is the infallible, eternal word of God that is able to save your souls. But you can filter it out. Discount it because it comes from a human vessel. And James says, I don't want you to have a resistance to the teaching and preaching of the Word of God. Be swift to hear. I love the, what Paul said in Acts 17.10. He went to Berea and he said those of Berea were more noble of those of Thessalonica because they received the Word of God with all readiness of mind. They had an open mind to truth. But they weren't just gullible. The Bible said that they searched the Scriptures daily whether those things were so. They had an Old Testament, probably the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And they would study to see if the things that Paul and others were teaching were found in their Old Testament Scripture. Jesus said, search the Scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life. He was not referring to the New Testament, which was not written. He was saying in the Old Testament you can find Jesus. That's what the noble Bereans did. They were looking for truth. Amen. So it's important if we're going to be saved to have an open mind to the Word of God, and to preaching. James said in verse 20, For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. It's really difficult for God to have His character formed in you when you've got a bad attitude. Amen. Got a debate, debating mind, a contentious spirit, all these filters, hostility, that never made anybody a better Christian. That attitude toward other people never drew anyone to the cross of Jesus Christ. The wrath of man doesn't work the righteousness of God. You know, when you come into the house of God, or you even sit down to read your Bible, I know I'm, the context here is preaching, But when you've got kind of a messed up spirit, it's hard for God to talk to you because He's a good God. We'll talk about the mirror of the Word of God later tonight. But it's really hard for God to get through to us because He is going to deal with what's wrong first. He's going to confront you about that wrong attitude. So James is saying, when you come to the table of the Word of God, to preaching and teaching. You've got to deal with your wrath issues, with your bad attitude. You've got to get that out of the way because that is not fertile ground for the cultivation of Christianity. The wrath of man never works. The righteousness of God. Amen. Verse 21.
James comes out with another wherefore. Wherefore, we're still talking about our relationship with teaching, preaching, the Word of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. Really big words in the King James, right? <clears throat> and receive with meekness the engrafted Word which is able to save your souls. Now I want you to think about this context, right? The wrath of man doesn't work the righteousness of God. So James said, if God is going to help you grow as a Christian, there are some things that you're going to have to do. I wanted you to see the flow of that, uh, but I'm going to kind of come back to that. Verse 19 and 20. Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. The wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. So let's talk a little bit about, I want to do some practical application. The context is about our relationship, preaching, teaching, ministry. But let's talk about being swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. And let me give you some scriptures to help you practically in life in general. Ecclesiastes 5.2. These verses will not be on the screen so you can jot the references down or just enjoy them. Be not rash with thy mouth. And let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven and thou upon earth. Therefore let thy words be few. Don't ever forget where you are and where he is. Proverbs 19.10 In the multitude of words there wanteth not sin. But he that refraineth his lips is wise. Proverbs 13 and 3. He that keepeth his mouth keepeth his life. But he that openeth wide his lips shall have destruction. Proverbs 15 2. The, na- the, the tongue of the wise useth knowledge aright. But the mouth of fools poureth out foolishness. James 1 and 19. He tells us again, let every man be swift to hear. Slow to speak, slow to wrath. When I was a a young minister, my grandfather, we all called Daddy Doc, my Aunt Phyllis and Mom's dad. Daddy Doc was talking to me one day uh, in the metropolis of Weewahitchka, Florida, where he lived. And he said, you know, Daryl, I'm sure you have a lot of really good ideas, but you're a young man. And it would be wise for you to not be very outspoken and express your opinion about a lot of things until you're about 30 years old and maybe then people would listen to you more. I thought about what he said and I decided what he really was saying that if I can get you to hold on till you're 30, maybe you'll realize that that's a pretty good thing to do your whole life. I'm a firstborn, strong personality leader. I can't say I've always uh, lived by those wise words that he spoke to me. But I started asking myself the question, if I say something, will it help? Will it make a difference? Now, I don't know why I want to go here next, but I, I've, through my ministry, I've served on a lot of committees and boards in a youth committee, uh, now on a district board, a global missions board, a Christian education board, a couple college boards. And so I've been on a lot of boards and committees. I've served on special committees, 
and uh, chaired a commission on preterism. So I've been in a group setting a lot. And I've, I've noticed some things that I want to share with you because some of you at work or in church, you serve on boards and committees, places where you're working with other people. And I've learned a few things I want to just share with you about being swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. I've learned that when you're a new member, don't say much. When new committees, when new committee members would come on the general youth committee, especially, Brother Jerry could wax eloquent on this right now. We would always tell those new presidents, make sure you speak on every issue during this meeting. Be the first one to have something to say. And man, just say everything that's ever crossed your mind or whatever. Of course, we were kidding, and the, the message really was don't say much. This is your first meeting. So I've learned when you're new, don't say much. And I've also learned to generally not be the first person to express your opinion and see if the thought that you have will be expressed by someone else. Maybe someone else will say what you were thinking and you can say that. I've also learned to listen and digest the conversation. In other words, let the conversation develop and let people speak and air out their thoughts and listen and evaluate and and pray and think about what insights may not have been shared that need to be shared. You may be leaning one way if a decision is going to be made. And if you listen, if you're swift to hear, your mind may be changed in the course of discussion and you will think of something different. Sometimes uh, it's important if, if a point has been made, don't make that same point again. In your mind, you're saying, I know it was said, but I didn't get to say it. Sometimes when I'm the chairperson, I will try to kindly say, thank you for making that point. I believe that's the same thing that so-and-so just made. And I'm trying to teach a little bit in a meeting. That depends on who said it. And I also uh, feel that if I'm on a committee or board... I am not there to never speak. I know some people that I've been in committee meetings with them five years, served on the Global Missions Board 16 years, and there are people that would go meeting after meeting after meeting and never say much at all. And I'm thinking, why would I want to take precious time to be here if I don't have something to contribute in a subcommittee meeting or a committee meeting? So I am there to think and speak, not be silent totally. And... When I speak, I try to make my point quickly and not drag it out. Not go on and on and on and tell my life history and tell stories and say the same thing over and over again. Because some people, when they speak, they have to give their life history and then they've got to make the same point over and over and over. James said that you should be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Speak after you've heard other people out. And I've learned this, whether it's in a conversation or a committee meeting, especially when James was talking about wrath, about anger, about when you're kind of irrational and emotional. Most of us cannot afford to give anybody a piece of our mind because there's not enough left over after we do that. I also want to just say that anytime it might cross your mind 
that you think you are the, you secretly, of course, that you're the smartest, wisest, or most knowledgeable person in the room, there really might be a fool in the room. There is a smartest person in the room. There is a wisest person in the room. There is a most knowledgeable person in the room. But typically, it's a consensus of counsel that you're working for. And as I've taught before, and Proverbs bears it out many times, in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. God has never chosen to impart all knowledge, all wisdom, all experience to one person. That's why we are dependent on one another and we are the body of Christ with a few strengths and many weaknesses by every member. So back to James. Wherefore, my blood brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. So let's talk about slow to wrath, the issue of anger. If you delay your response, if you anger is curbed by deferring it, we should be slow to anger. So here's some verses, Proverbs 19.11. The discretion of a man deferreth his anger, and it is, it is his glory to pass over a transgression. It is discretion that causes you to hold on and not blurt out when you're upset. When you get angry, you are typically not rational. You are emotional. And you cannot be dealt with rationally Because you're not in the right side of your brain. The correct side of your brain. The left side. So, put it off. Proverbs 16.32 He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. I'm doing some application a little outside the context. Remember, Scripture has one interpretation, many applications. So I'm making some application about swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he that ruleth his spirit, than he that taketh the city. Job 5 and 2. For wrath killeth the foolish man, and envy slayeth the silly one. Proverbs 11, 17. The merciful man doeth good to his own soul, but he that is cruel troubleth his own flesh. Proverbs 13, 10. Only by pride, this is very powerful to me, only by pride cometh contention. But where the well-advised, but with the well-advised is wisdom. If you want to know what causes a lot of arguments, Solomon said it's by pride. Proverbs 14, 16. A wise man feareth and departeth from evil. But the fool rageth and is confident. Isn't that amazing? Sometimes a person is so sure of themselves while they're making such a fool of themselves. And you would think, wow, they sure have a lot of confidence. Well, that doesn't always mean that they should. Sometimes they should look for a hole to crawl in. But the fool rages and he is proud of that. He's confident. Proverbs 15, 18. A wrathful man 
stirreth up strife. But he that is slow to anger appeaseth strife. Now, in life, I don't want to use names tonight, hypothetical names, so I'm going to say it like this. When person one has trouble with person two, and with person three, and with person four, and five, and six, and on, generally the problem is with person one. Not always, but generally. The wrath of man has never cultivated the character of Jesus Christ. Amen. So James would teach us to let wrath go, to forgive, and put vengeance into the hands of a just God who avenges righteously. Amen. And maybe consider that your view is skewed or even wrong or foolish in itself. Proverbs 19, 19. A man of great wrath shall suffer punishment. For if you deliver him, yet thou must do it again. Here's a man of great wrath. He gets in trouble. You go bail him out. Solomon says, if he's a man of great wrath, just hold, you know, don't hold your breath. You're going to be doing that again. Proverbs 22, 24. Make no friendship with an angry man. And with a furious man thou shalt not go. Lest thou learn his ways and get a snare to thy soul. Proverbs 25, 28. He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. Ecclesiastes 7 and 9. Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry. For anger resteth in the bosom of fools. Solomon would say, don't brag about your short fuse. Don't blame it on your personality. Don't blame it on your heritage or your bloodline. Don't blame it. Amen. Blame doesn't change anything. But what does is accepting responsibility for your decisions and actions. That's the first step to growing up in Jesus Christ. Amen. The wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. So we've got to deal with our wrath issues, our anger issues, whether it is hearing the word of God or whether it is dealing with people. Amen. The fruit of the Spirit is developed in you, in me, by the control of the Spirit. And Paul would say, the New Living Translation, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. And Brother Buddy Simmons, a few weeks ago, handed me one of his golden nuggets. It says, patience is staying in neutral when you feel like stripping your gears. Let's remember the advice of James. That my attitude toward God and His Word is directly related to what, how much change I can facilitate in my life by the power of the Word. In other words, my attitude toward what God is saying to me if I am wrathful, angry, if I am predisposed to rejecting what is being preached or taught, God is going to have a very difficult time changing me. Amen. Our attitude toward truth. Verse 21. James has explained how not to approach spiritual growth in encounters with the Word of God. Now, 
He's going to help us know how we can grow. James 1.21. I've read this verse, so let me just skip it for now. But we're laying some things apart. So James says, and you can leave the verse on the screen if you don't mind. Because I'll walk through it. James 1.21. He says, you know, he's kind of been pounding away, right, at our attitude. And what he's really saying is that the seed of the word of God, as good as it is, needs some help from me. Right? The seed of the Word of God is a constant. It is perfect. It can work in anyone's life if that life is the soil in which seed can grow. The nature of the soil has everything to do with the success of the seed. No one ever heard, if you've heard Acts 2.38, you never heard an inferior gospel. You've never received a second-rate Holy Ghost. You might have spoken in tongues for 30 seconds. You might have been slain in the Spirit and spoken in tongues for hours. But there's no grade one, two, three Holy Ghost. You know, it really goes back to the person that said, well, I've got the Holy Ghost. And the other person said, well, does the Holy Ghost have you? That's the real issue. No, I don't want to bear down too long in this idea. But you remember Jesus taught the parable of the soils. A sower went forth to sow. He has one kind of seed. And he sows the same kind of seed in every type of ground that is mentioned here. There are four. And when Jesus applies this, in Matthew chapter 13, verse 19, he said that this first one that hears the word of God and doesn't understand it, it's the one that received the seed by the wayside. A seed falls on the path. It's hardened, packed ground. Remember Hosea said, break up your fallow ground, it's time to seek the Lord. There is some ground that is not conducive to growth. And if you are hard and resentful, what James was talking about, and you will not receive the word of God, no matter how good the seed is, it doesn't stand a chance. Then Jesus said, He that received the seed in stony places is the same person who hears the word of God and with joy he receives it. But he has not root in himself. And he's got, there's no depth of ground. There's a little teeny bit of soil, but under there is a lot of hardness. I will tell you that it seems to me in 20 years of being here as pastor and 37 years of ministry, there's a lot of people that have not rooted in himself. This is what Jesus said. He dureth for a while. But when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. He doesn't make it Because he doesn't have any depth in him. He's living by the water of church services. And the sunshine of corporate worship. But when he walks out the door, there's no depth to stand in tests and trials that will come to him. Jesus said he doesn't have depth in him. There's a lot of... We probably need every one of us to take some dynamite and blow the hardness out of our heart. And make more room for God's word to grow deep. In us. 
what this, what this application of the parable of the soils tells me is that it's really not the seed, it's the soil, it's me. If I don't make it, it's not because I've encountered an inferior God or church or Bible or spirit, but it's because I didn't do the hard work of digging deep to let God take root in my life. Jesus said, it's another guy, he received the seed among thorns. This is the person who hears the word. He becomes a Christian, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, they choked the word. They got, the seed got planted, but there were, there were other things growing in the ground along with the seed. You say, wow, if this seed is powerful, it ought to be able to overcome the weeds. No, if you're a good farmer, you get the weeds out of the ground so the seed can grow. And this person allows worldliness and godliness to try to grow in the same ground. And Jesus said it doesn't work. It chokes the word out and they become unfruitful. And then there's the good ground. It's the person who hears the word of God and understands it. And the way you know they do is because they bear fruit and they bring forth some 30, 60, and some 100 fold. So what I'm saying about James is James is saying that you need to give the seed of the Word of God a chance in your life. And if it's going to have a chance, there's some things that have to go if that seed is going to grow in your life. James says you've got a duty to accept the Word of God. And you've got to get rid of moral filth in your life. You have to do it through submission to the Word of God and repentance and cleansing. And sometimes anger is that impediment that causes us to lay apart. It means to get rid of. It really, from the original, it's a word picture of like wearing an old, dirty, smelly coat that stinks. You've sweated in it, worked in it, and you just kind of throw it off. And what James is implying, that you've got to get all the filth that you brought to God when you repented. He forgave you, but you've got to throw it off. You've got to give the seed a chance to grow by ridding yourself. Lay apart all filthiness. Get rid of all of that stuff. Paul talked about this in Ephesians 4. Putting off your old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires. James says, lay lay apart all filthiness. Amen. Praise God. And talk about this, this ideas of the filthiness, ulcers, the nastiness of the filth of the body through sweating, as I mentioned. And uh, just kind of gross if you think about what James is saying. Get rid of that. And then that, that difficult phrase in the King James, all superfluity of naughtiness. It means overflowing malice, scoffing. It refers to attitude again. One Translator called it the excrement of wickedness. Some said it may kind of have a word picture. You know, when sacrifices were offered, then all the remains of that were thrown down into the Kidron Valley, which was the garbage dump outside of Israel. And maybe James sees a word picture that there's some junk 
that needs to get out of your life. The abundance of evil and filthiness that is in the human heart. James says, like a coat, take it off. Get rid of this. Give the seed a chance to grow in your heart. And receive with meekness. James 1.21 And receive with meekness. Receive with submission. The engrafted word. Here, the word engrafted is probably implanted. That seed that was conceived in you by the preaching of the word of God in faith. You had that it would change you. So James is saying, now, now that you've kind of taken care of the stuff that's blocking the work of God in your life, that's preventing spiritual growth, now would you just receive the, the word of God that has been planted in you? Because it is able to save your souls. Make more room for it in your heart. Amen. And receive it with Meekness and humility. That's what this is saying. A modest spirit. So the word planted has an opportunity to grow in your life. Amen. In the Bible we know that one plants another waters. But God gives the increase. Right? So we know in the process of ministry that we cannot control the harvest. But we can affect the harvest. We can plant and water, cultivate, and the harvest will come. But we cannot force it to happen. We really just cooperate with God. Amen? And we know that it always works, and it works for anyone, anywhere, in all of planet Earth. It always works for everyone. Now, as a pastor, preacher, when I'm kind of teaching along, and then I feel this kind of a spirit to just like bear down on this. I want to just bear down on this for one more moment because I've repeated it two or three times that, you know, some people just feel like this is not working for me. You know, I've tried this, I've tried living for God and it just doesn't seem work to work for me. Maybe I wasn't cut out to be a Christian. Well, that's not true of anybody. The difference between... The biggest pagan, heathen, most corrupt person in the world and the greatest Christian in the world is what they do with the seed that is planted in their heart. Now, I know the most corrupt person may have never had the seed planted. But it's what I do to give God the opportunity to grow in me that determines how high I go and how much I become like Him. What James is saying to the 12 tribes scattered abroad is give God a chance to work in your life. Give God something to work with. You can't fill your mind with filthiness. You can't fill your life with all kinds of stuff that is garbage and expect the seed to grow. It is being choked out by the cares of life, by sinful practices, by worldliness. You don't have time for prayer, time for the Word of God. How in the world can God's Spirit and Word take root in your life? It is able... To save your souls. Verse 22. But be ye doers of the word. And not hearers only. Deceiving your own selves. 
Now, there are a lot of things that we could say are the fruit of the Christian life. The fruit of the Spirit are, are really one fruit with many attributes, nine attributes. You know, they're, they're attributes of the fruit of the Spirit in our life. But in a, in a global sense, the only way that I can really show that I'm in a right relationship with God is by my obedience to the Word of God in my life. That's what James is saying to be doers of the Word and not hearers only deceiving your own selves. When you become obedient to the Word of God, you follow with actions and life changes. I think that probably we have a Christian culture in America... I'm not talking about Atlanta West Pentecostal Church only. I'm not talking about Apostolic Pentecostals only. I'm talking about churchgoers, maybe some nominal churchgoers, nominal Christians, which means Christians in name only. A, A nation of hearers. There is more Word, the Word of God, available today in America especially than at any time in history. I have three copies of the Bible right now, right here. One written out, one on my iPad, and one on my phone. And on my iPad and on my phone, I have multiple translations and commentaries right there. Just right there. I mean, not not bragging, but you do too. You can. And if you don't, with just a few touches of a button, you can get on the Internet and you can search scriptures and read commentary That's how available the Word of God is today. It's everywhere. Right? The famine is not for the Word of God. It's for the hearing and the application for the obedience of the Word of God. Paul said, in Athens, you know, they took him to Mars Hill, to Areopagus, where they kind of had discussions of philosophy and they said, we, we would like to, you bring certain strange things to our ears. We want to know what these things mean. But then there's this parenthetical statement in Acts 17.21 that Luke the writer here fills us in and says, For all the Athenians and the strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. They weren't interested in life change, application. They just love philosophy and ideas. And you're okay and I'm okay. They weren't judging Paul to throw him in jail at at Mars Hill and Areopagus. They were saying, we want to hear this new philosophy. They called him him a seed picker. They called him somebody that is going from here to there, picking up a little philosophy and trying to retail it. That's who the Athenians were. I don't want to have that kind of a, a life that I deceive myself because I'm a hearer, that I think I'm a doer. I've told this story before, but one, one day or evening I was checking out at Walmart. And I'm standing in a line there. Really, I think I was like getting my groceries or whatever I'd gone to the store for. I used to work in a grocery store, so my wife has no trouble getting me to go do that. You know, it's like getting in touch with my roots, something like that. But I'm hearing these two people talking. They went to the same church. And uh, one lady is saying to another, did you go to church Sunday? 
And, and I could kind of gather through the whole conversation. It was a very large church. And, you know, yeah, I was there. You were there. Wow. And, and this is the essence. I mean, this is not a direct quote. It's, wow, didn't our pastor throw down on Sunday? <laughs> Wasn't here, believe me. No. And what did he throw down on Sunday? And, and they were talking about, man, he was tough. And he was, he was powerful. He was kind of like, man, he got everybody in there and he just whooped us good and we needed it. But, but I'm, and I'm just, you know, I'm kind of exerting from an observation. I'm just standing there. But it reminded me of two people that were saying, did you watch that game on Sunday? Wow, man, our quarterback was bad to the bone and he completed so many passes. It was kind of like rehearsing what took place at a spectator sport. You didn't get the feeling from that conversation was, wow, I was so convicted by the way I'm living that I know I need to make a lot of changes. It was like, wow, that was a good sermon and he really told it like it was. I'm not going to be any different tomorrow than I was yesterday. I just enjoy getting whooped at church, you know. Church is a spectator sport in America. We go to be sung to, preached to. I don't mean my I don't mean anybody here on Wednesday night, but you know, I'm talking about America. There are millions of people. Someone told me the other day at Lowe's. They watch a certain person on television. They have to work, so they watch this person on television, a preacher. So I watch him because he makes me feel good. I may have shared this, went on to talk about his living girlfriend. Well, uh, you know, that's good that he makes you feel good. But if John the Baptist was there, he'd probably preach to you and tell you you're living in sin. You know, there's a part of that too. I'm, I'm glad you feel good, but I don't want you to feel good till the minute you go to hell. I would rather make you feel bad and have you saved and spend eternity feeling good. Remember Paul saying, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But they will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They will be turned away from the truth. They will be turned to fables. When we go to church, you be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Sometimes we have a filter, filter of pride that we may know more than the person speaking. Filter is a past performance to tell you, you already know, we've already lived that. Filters of self-righteousness that points a finger at somebody else across the aisle, across the way. Boy, I sure hope they're listening to the pastor tonight. They really need that. And these filters inoculate us with the transforming power of the Word of God. And James was worried about it. Be hearers, be doers of the word, not hearers only. When we hear the word of God, it is not a lecture like school or a speech from a politician. There's some, Paul said, that are ever learning, but they're never coming to the knowledge of truth. Just something else to learn, something else to know. Christianity is about something to do. Be doers of the word. James is hopped up on his soapbox now. 
hearers of the word. And then he gives us an application in verse 23 and 24. He said, because a person, for he beholdeth himself. Amen. Deceiving your own selves. Verse 23 is actually skipped in my notes, so put it on the screen. Verse 23, please. If you can, back up to verse 23. It's like a man beholding himself in the natural glass. So you go look in the mirror in the morning and you see, right, beholding his natural face in the glass. You look in the mirror. And when you look in the mirror, you go, oh my goodness. I look terrible. My eyes are puffy, red. My hair's out of place. That happens to me every day. James said he goes his way and he forgets. He got distracted. The phone rang. He was in front of the mirror and then the phone rang and he grabbed his lunch and he ran out the door, got in his car, got to work, went to the restroom, looked in the mirror and went, Ooh. you know, something like that. He just forgot. James said he forgets what manner of man he was. That's a hearer. But whosoever looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work of the word. This man is just blessed just by the mere fact that he's applying the word of God. Psalm 1, some say that James is kind of hearkening back to Psalm 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree. Planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. James is saying that you're blessed in just applying the word of God to your life. This mirror is not designed to flatter us. Neither is it designed to condemn us. But I would rather be embarrassed by God in the mirror of the word than to be condemned by God. Because I did not see what I really was and do what I needed to do to change. James says you've got to do it. I'm asking the musicians to come right now. Jesus, they're just coming to give us hope, the worship team. In Matthew chapter 7, and this this is familiar territory to some, but, but don't overlook Sermon on the Mount. This is what would be the altar call, the wrap-up of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, Whoever hears these sayings of mine and doeth them, does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house upon a rock. Rain descended, floods came, winds blew, beat upon the house, and it fell not, for it was founded on a rock. The only thing that made this house a house on the rock that did not fall was the person who built it was somebody who heard and obeyed or did what they learned from the Word. That's the person who builds their house on the rock. They're a doer of the Word. Then Jesus said, there was a foolish man, he that hears these sayings of mine, they go to church, they hear, but they don't do anything about it. Likened unto a foolish man, he built his house upon the sand. Rain descended, floods came, winds blew, beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. The only difference was one did and one only heard. 
Now, when I read the book of Luke, when Luke tells this same story, he sheds a little light. The words of Jesus, maybe in a different setting. Jesus said, whoever comes to me and hears my saying and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man which built a house, Luke 6.48, and digged deep and laid the foundation on a rock. When I discovered that several years ago, I was like, wait a second. These two men could have been next door neighbors. In my mind, I used to have the idea that one guy's house is way up here on a hill on the rock and the other guy's down there on, on, a, on a beachy area, like on a sandbar. But when you read Luke, you're saying, hold on a second. Their houses could have been side by side. Sandy soil. But one guy says, you know what? If I just kind of build my house and throw it together, if I'm just a hearer of the word of God, there's adversity coming into my life. And when the wind and rain and storm beats against my house, this sand is not going to be a good foundation. So I'm going to dig deep. I'm going to shovel past the sand. I think this is kind of like what James is saying when he's saying lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. You know, you've got to dig deep in your life. Got to shovel out a lot of sand to get down to where the rock is. Say, okay, I can build on that. And when the rains come and the wind beats against my house, my house is going to stand because it is founded on a rock. Be doers of the word and here is not here is only deceiving your own selves. Would you stand, please? going to leave a couple verses of James 1 on the table. One James comes back to you later. But he's talking about signs of true religion, of obedience. One is that you bridle your tongue. That's a sign that you've been obedient to God and there's cultivated Christianity in your life. And the last verse of James 1 is pure religion and undefiled. Is to visit the fatherless and the widows and their affliction and to keep thyself unspotted from the world. James says, if you're really going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, got to be this obedience in your life. It shows in the change of your character, but it also was demonstrated in the love you have to other people. Amen. If you have a few moments tonight, if you could gather at the altar area, we're going to pray and we're just going to ask God to let His Spirit develop in us. These insights from James of practical Christianity about how to get the Word of God deep into our hearts. Amen.